1: guys. Welcome into your Wednesday, January 25th episode of the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We are going to have a great guest on, an OBR colleague of mine here in just a moment, where we are going to pick apart, peel back the salary cap. I like to do a primer as we look back throughout the end of this month at what happened the year before all of the elements of the 2022 outcome. I think it's good to also get a primer for the salary cap and where it heads into the next season, um, particularly as the the league year will turn over in the next 30 days. And we will get an opportunity to explore free agency and how much money the Browns need to hold on to for the draft and a lot of different elements that are uh, that are looming out there. So um, before we do so, a couple things that are going on at the OBR website. So we have um, your usual mock draft content that is up. You have your usual daily newswire. Um, Day seven included on the mock draft front, a a particularly interesting trade up. My guest today, Jack Duffin, not 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 all too keen on a trade up, but we did that anyway and just didn't tell him about it until he couldn't control it. But uh, we're always looking at different outcomes for those mock drafts. You'll get one every Monday through Friday up until the draft. So it's not this is what I'm going to do. This is like this is what it would take for the Browns to do it if you wanted that route. Or here's an example of another player here that they could take. So if you paid attention today. I've got an affinity for my favorite draft crush right now is Tyler Scott, this wide receiver from Cincinnati. And we're going to talk with Jack in just a minute, kind of building around the wide receiver room and what they could do, how they could do in the veteran route. But we're looking at plausible alternatives all at the same time. So that's what we're doing in a moment here. The website is also going to have up a piece on, um the cornerback room that andrew barry put together uh that our guest jack wrote himself and looking at that review as well so check that out at the obr website that is all available for your viewing pleasure you've heard me talk about him a couple times i think he's the best guy doing salary cap information and understanding in the browns corner really i'd say in the afc north but i'm being a little what's the word i'm looking for jack i'm being a little uh i'm being a bit of a homer on that take but i don't think that's off jack i think you do a great job man and i'm happy to have you in today what's up buddy
2: Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for getting me involved in the OBR. Um, I remember that uh, Twitter DM, it, it must have been just about a year ago. It was like, hey, would you would you fancy? And uh, yeah, it's always great coming on the podcast, but then at the same time, I get up in the morning and it's the first thing I do when I walk a dog and I'm like, I don't want to listen to myself back. So it's like, I'm going to need to find a new podcast tomorrow morning.
1: Uh, well, listen, I think I've, I originally did this, I hated my own voice, but I've gotten used to hearing it now so much but i I, to your point anything i'm involved in i can't listen to it because it's just like uh you know i don't want to hear myself yammer but i appreciate the podcast love you've been on the show many times you'll continue to be you have your own podcast which does great stuff you got some fun ideas potentially down the pipeline for that which we will update the listenership of this podcast about when the time comes but uh for now i want to do like an off-season charcuterie board of, of of where different elements of the salary cap jack so um, there's a lot of misinformation in my opinion, that goes on with this whole thing in terms of, uh, what people see a number and they believe it and, and they believe that they're stuck in these situations. And like, that's the goal here is to look at what's actually going on. So the raw cap number, I think is the first thing when the league year turns over, what will the league's salary cap number be? And where will the Browns be before they do anything to help their scenario? Cause everybody knows that an off season you can do whole bunch of cuts. You can do a whole bunch of restructures. And we're going to talk about that. But before any of that were to arrive, where do the Browns sit in that regard?
2: So as of today, um, looking at the numbers, it's minus 14 million, um, which, hey, not a great place to be. So yeah, minus 14.4 million. um, And it's how they go about moving that from where they are now into a positive. And hey, the easiest place to start the minute that deal was done, I think my first tweet on the Deshaun Watson contract was they're going to restructure year two, um, and what is a restructure? It's just putting it on a credit card, effectively, and you kick the can down the road. And hey, you free up basically just under thirty-six million doing that. So instantly, you're straight into the green.
1: Okay, so like like from a, from a baseline perspective, they're fourteen over. Does that include rollover money or not?
2: Yeah, so that's all the rollover money included. And looking at the NFL salary cap jumping up to... Remind everybody
1: real quick. I got ahead of myself, Jack, and I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but remind everybody what rollover means. Because when they see, like right now, people will tweet out, the Browns have $27 million over under the cap. They have the most uh, money that they could spend on this season. But what they're doing is taking that money they don't use and they term it rolling it over. And that means what exactly?
2: Yeah, so any money you don't spend in a season, you just... Adds on to your next year. So the NFL salary cap for all teams starts at 20, 225 million. And so add on the extra space the Browns have uh, at extra 27 million. And effectively, the number the Browns are working with this season is, um, I've got to do some maths on the fly here, 252 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're already spending more than that. They've got 258 million worth of contracts. You've got some dead cap already in there. So they're already well over that number. So all of that backloading of deals Andrew Berry's been doing, when people go, whoa, well, hey, he's got it down to 1 million base salary. Well, that's just money that they have to pay at some other point. It, the player doesn't stay cheap and free forever. So it's the balancing out of those
1: numbers. If a guy's number is going to jump, like why the Browns would keep that money and not use it is if a guy's number is going to jump, you can inflate your number uh, for just a season and you can fit all of those contracts in and be able to justify a, 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 a season's cap number for a player and make it work. Now, again, it's not like you get, if you don't roll over 27 million to the next year. It's a one year use it situation unless you keep that number and roll it to the next. So you're sort of looking for those all in years. Now, I think we can all agree that the start of their all-in window is coming up. It's next year. Now, the duration of that all-in, we'll see. Two years minimum, four years maybe maximum here um, before they have to start retooling a bunch of important parts of this team. Um, They're going to be inclined to use more of that, right? So if they're going to be inclined to use more of it, and we're talking they're already down $14 you would go into this offseason and you would say, well, God, that's how the heck are they even going to add anybody There are ways to do it. The ways by which you do that are obviously you can restructure. Like Jack said, there are guys out there, Deshaun Watson, one of others, a few others. Go through with me the ways, uh, I guess the way Jack to phrase this is who they restructure in your opinion, who are the prime candidates, um, who their prime cut candidates are, and then sort of what your realistic number you think they end up below the salary cap to use uh, into a uh, free agency. And obviously they have to have their cap number hold on the, on the draft for what they automatically slot those guys into payment. So th- just give us your uh, prediction for where that sort of shakes out.
2: Yeah. So when you're looking to restructure a guy, you're looking for two things. You are looking number one, have they got loads of base salary? So like Watson's 46 million of base salary, easy place to start. And then the other factor you're looking at, because Cooper's got 20 million of base salary, But the issue with Cooper's deal is he's only under contract for 2023, 2024. So even with void years, you're only spreading that out over three years. So what you want to do is look for long contracts and big base salary. So after Watson, the easiest place to go is Miles Garrett. He's going to be here for a long time. Let's restructure his deal. Boom, there's 13 million created in 2023. And that does mean, hey, there's 3 million lost in each of the coming years. But it's dealt with and it's balanced. And then the next two are the guards. You're paying massive money to guards, so let's restructure Teller, restructure Batonio, and then you've got three years to spread that out over. So they're the ones that make sense, whereas people might look at Amari Cooper, look at Nick Chubb. These guys are only under contract for two more years, so probably not a great place to start with a restructure. And then sort of Njoku and Ward are the other two. If they really wanted to have min salaries this year, they'd have put it in their contract last year. Um, so... I think they'll leave them at like it's roughly about four million of base salary.
1: Okay, so that number after they do those restructures, and then I guess we'll get to the number in a second. Who who do you think are guys that would make sense to move on from bigger numbers that would open up a, a larger amount of money for this whole operation?
2: Yeah, so there's only one I'm expecting to be done sort of early in the season, and that is John Johnson, where it's pretty early on you've got to make a decision. So he's got a roster bonus. Um, to force the Browns to basically decide do you want to keep him. So nineteenth of March is the magic date for him, but I expect a, Ju- a post June first cut, which frees up nine point seven five million there.
1: And yeah, that- and they can designate that right, so they could announce he's cut like Hooper last year, but designate that a post, right?
2: Yep. So that's exactly what they're doing. They're doing the same thing with Jadavion Clowney. That's what one's already um, locked in and sort of they pre announced that earlier this season.
1: But and- that does mean, Jack, real quick, that they can- that money still doesn't. Happen right until that situation, or am I wrong about that? Or right? Like, if I say okay, I'm cutting John Johnson before the 19th, but I'm designating it a post June one cut. You don't get that money flexibility until that actual uh, league uh, roster process takes place, or is that wrong? I'm just trying to. I've I've heard that, and I don't know if that's right.
2: Yeah, so it's on the second of June where that money effectively adds. The extra 9.75 million appears in the salary cap. Um, so you wait till that time, but teams will keep sort of a, an emergency fund of at least 5 million during the season. So effectively, you're just almost budgeting that money for that. So they might go nearer to the cap, and then suddenly it's like, boom, this extra 9.75 million appears, and it makes everything a lot easier.
1: Okay, fantastic. Then um, they cut, they restructure. What's the number you think they end up below um, that, that cap number for next year to go into this thing with?
2: Yeah, so I think towards the start of the season you're gonna look at around fifty to sixty million. Um there's Jakeem Grant, which they could do. Um I think they might try bringing bring him back to camp and sort of give him a shot to make the roster first. But he's definitely one that is he's on the fringes trying to battle him because at three million a year, with that injury, it's a risk. Um so there could be a cut there, but I think they might bring him back and let him battle at camp. So they're going to have loads of money, and it could be another one where we sat here in a year's time rolling another 20, 30 million into next year because they won't spend all this money. A lot's going to be there as that emergency fund. Hey, we're having a Super Bowl run. Let's buy a player or trade for a player late. Uh, a bit like Von Miller and the Rams. They took on that deal late in the season, um, and you have more assets, more salary cap space. You, you can do crazier stuff.
1: You start to talk about how they could be below. You actually put out an interesting article about how the Browns could get to ninety three million with all restructures, no cutting. Which is fascinating. People see that and it's like, well, why wouldn't they do that? Explain quickly as you can about why you wouldn't just restructure every single one to open up ninety three million. There's ramifications, right?
2: Yeah. So any money you create this year, you're effectively just borrowing from the future. Same way as a credit card. If you get a credit card, you're not rich. You're just borrowing money from the future to pay In today. So if you created that uh, 93.864 million, suddenly you're losing 23.5 million next year, you're losing 34.9 million in 2025, you're losing 23 million in 2026, and you're losing 12 million in 2027. So that money you're then able to spend less in the future. And we get back to this spot where suddenly they go into next season and they're already 40 million over the cap. Well, what's that caused by? It's doing mass, mass restructures. So you don't want to be like the Saints where you blow it all up, you lose your starting tackle, you lose loads of the middle of your roster and you effectively suck. So it's a balancing game where you can be aggressive, but even if they are aggressive and say they do the full 93 million, don't be surprised if they then just roll 40 million into next season.
1: You're looking at this thing and you started to talk about some – issues with the offensive structure and payments and some just the tight spot they're in today you put out a tweet that gave the uh the number of players on the browns offense who are making a 10 uh, 10 million plus per year number i think that number was seven right there are seven guys currently on the browns roster white uh who are on the offense who make a 10 million or more figure now restructures could change that but that is, uh, that is as we sit here today, a fact. How does that compare to the other main offences? And why is it's a bit of a concern, right?
2: Yeah, so seven at the moment for next season. If they extend DPJ, uh, that's going to be double digits. So That will rise that to eight of the 11. Um, and even with the restructure, this is just looking at average per year for a contract. So always best at the salary cap to look at the bigger picture, three-year windows and stuff. So even with restructures, these average per years are still going to be high. So we're looking at seven or eight. And then let's just look at the playoff teams. Cincinnati, two. San Francisco, four. KC and Philadelphia, and that's looking at their 2022 teams, five each. And if anything, you would expect Cincinnati to have more than the Browns. They've got a rookie quarterback. They've got a spare $40 million a year to spend. So I would be expecting them to be up there with the Browns having just as many. I would have certainly expected the Eagles to be in that realm. So if anything, it's a massive shock that the Browns are the highest. And I, would have, I thought the Brown, I knew the Browns were high. I was expecting other teams to be up there. The fact that they're not just goes to show. And when people are going, oh yeah, let's just add another like Hopkins at maybe 17.5 million, 20 million a year. It's not realistic. You cannot have all eleven starters earning ten million plus. It's just not sustainable. And it goes from hey, we're being aggressive to we're being it's all in. Let's blow it all up in twenty twenty five. Who cares? Levels of like push the chips in
1: yeah so that that's the thing you know there's a lot of people who want um and, and i understand this people that want them to to go out and make a deal for a prove it uh you know a proven wide receiver commodity and i think it seems like most people point toward the wide receiver commodity at least from what i see you know guys that are buzzed around you know to tyler lockett um you know uh Jamar or not Jamar, sorry, uh, Deandre Hopkins, or, uh, there's some others that people have floated around names of guys that could be out there looking for an opportunity to move Brandon cooks, but it gets difficult. You can't just add and nothing else. Like, is that, I mean, I think I, th- I saw you had mentioned that Wyatt Teller might be one to come off the books. Like it's sort of hard to just add another l- like largely expensive contract to that role. Right.
2: Yeah. If you're going to, add a 10 million a plus guy on the offense, you have to at least get rid of one person. And if you're looking around at the pieces, the guy that just naturally makes the most sense is White Teller. Hey, first half of the season, the dude's been all pro level. Second half of the last two seasons, he's, he's been above average. So we're not saying he's bad, but do I feel it's easier to find an above average guard with all the magic Bill Callahan's done? And hey, Froholt had two, uh, four games this season where he was great at right guard finished with a 70.0 pff grade before that we had michael dunn that's played really well we've got bill callahan bill callahan makes guys better so why give him the most expensive o-line in the nfl let's go and give him guys that he can elevate and make really really good so if you were going to go that route of going hey i want to add another top wide receiver for me the most sense is sending teller in that trade and it's a shame to lose him but it costs to add great players. There, there has to be a balance. It's not like, hey, we'll throw them a fifth round pick, and obviously they'll take it. You've got to get worse to get better in other spots. It's it's opportunity cost.
1: As we think about, and I think people have made some some really uh, logical thoughts around how it's a win now situation. There's a lot of those things at play. So I understand where folks are coming from, and I and I and I understand that there's like they want immediate results. I get it. But, but I think you have to understand that with what they're currently paying, it's hard to just add in another double digit cap number to the offense and make it work for everything. Even as you're all in make everything work for the next few years. There's just, a, there's a lot of hurdles that would need to be covered there. And if you do give up something, uh, go get something like that. You're going to have to give up something. And um, and that, something you give up is probably going to have to have a decent cap number to get away with it. So we'll, you know, to your point about Wyatt Teller, have to make the best of that situation. I mean, I I think a lot of people would probably be fine with that move. But again, you're not just going to add here and think it's going to work out. So that's why continue to look at the draft for options to improve the offense, because I do think it's unfortunately a a very real situation that they have to entertain. We're going to take our only break of this episode. We come back. We are going to quickly cover really only two players here, Jack, uh, the tight end position. Just give a quick review of what we thought this year and then um, do our usual look ahead as well. So we'll be right back. Okay, Jack, so we're looking at um, tight end. And obviously I think that the year started with the Browns getting trampled on about David Njoku's contract, right? So there were a lot of people who don't know David uh, very well. Um, they just look at the baseline statistics and they make a bunch of assumptions about who he is as a player and this this money they can't believe they paid him. So where, where does his number uh, – I'm asking you to maybe pull this up on the fly, but compared to his peers – there's going to be some more contracts done, and I think there actually was one. Um, the 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 Bills ended up paying their tight end uh, right after. I believe they paid him right after uh, Dawson Knox. Right after him, I'm just kind of looking at where he's at compared to his peers on a year to year basis uh, with David's current contract.
2: Yeah, so he sits at the sixth highest tight paid tight end. So it was it was a big gamble with that move because you're paying on him becoming a top eight tight end and consistently doing it. There's health questions. Um, but my God, did he smash it. He had a phenomenal 2022. Um, yeah, it can always get better in the ceilings. It could be anywhere with him. It's not Travis Kelsey, but anything beyond that, he he is good enough to be George Kittle, Mark Andrews, and have that exact same conversation. And just looking at PFF, finished seventh best tight end, um, you can't ask for much more. If, if, if your guys are playing out there as top eight tight ends, it's a brilliant um performance
1: yeah he he ended up with the tenth most receiving yards at the position, which um again, he missed three games, so most people around him played seventeen. The only guy who played less than sixteen in the in the list in front of him was uh Dallas Goddard, who went for seven sixty um so that's obviously encouraging his uh reception number um for the year for David was twelfth at fifty eight his yards per reception, again, kind of filtering these for 20% of the 167 target average. Um, his uh, number was 20. They actually used him in a lot shorter routes than I expected. So that's a, that's a bit encouraging. You said six, then that's right. His receiving grade was six. So that's, um, you know, again, an encouraging number. And, and what you like too is uh, he was an effective pass blocker, which I thought was really great. And we'll, we'll talk about his run blocking too, but that's what makes him unique, right? Is he can be on the field and, use him as as often as you possibly can um, because you can hide him and you're not hiding him essentially, right? You can use him as a runner. You can use him as a pass catcher. Obviously you love that stuff. His uh, alignment diversity was not as uh, kind of random as it's been before. He had 172 slot snaps. He had only 54 wide. When you take, for example, Mark Andrews had 106 snaps out wide and Travis Kelsey, who's basically an extension as a, as a wide receiver. He had, 203 snaps out wide David had 251 inline snaps which is a significant number seventh highest among tight ends that qualified there Uh, the yak the yards after catch um, which I thought he had a pretty good season he was 10th in that department at 5.9 so again an encouraging number and he only had four drops which the drop percentage was was pretty good I mean in terms of uh, where that's at that's like 15th in, in that grouping of 40 or so tight end. So um, the 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 volume by which he got throws his direction, I thought that he was, uh, he had a couple late season drops there, but he, he made the miraculous catch in the end zone uh, against Tampa. Like he had a lot of really tough catches uh, to go in that mix too. And that's, that's, what's encouraging. So now some people, uh, and we'll talk about this in a minute, want them to maybe add another tight end. I I think you and I are aligned on this, Jack. I definitely have a preference for less tight ends in my life. I actually want them to live in 11 personnel uh, because of the spacing on the field and a lot of other elements. So I continue to like what he does from a versatility standpoint, like, okay, so if you're going to say David is being used too much as a blocker, right? That could be a potential thing that you're talking about with your tight ends. He actually had, let's check Jack, how many run blocking snaps he had as a tight end. So David had, again, we're trying to sort this again by a 20% number Um, you know, his run blocking Snaps specifically like George Kittle had a you know pretty solid year, he had 407. They use him, Dal- uh, Dalton Schultz 380, Dallas Goddard 354, Andrews 352. So, David had 334. It's not like he's being overused as a blocker. Dawson Knox, I think you and I agree, Jack, a guy who plays in an offense that doesn't run it very much in Buffalo, had 318. So, I don't think he's being overextended compared to his peers now. again. Um, if you look at Travis Kelsey only two hundred sixty eight but what they do there is unique, and he spends what did we say just a minute ago a hundred and fifty more snaps were out wide for him, so that 's different it 's different usage. I think you and I could probably also agree that he is not the same player as Travis Kelsey I think travis kelsey's a one of one uh, I think he 's probably going to go down as the best tight end to ever do it, so I think the usage was fine. Would you say there 's any usage issues I mean, years past, we can certainly point to guys getting targets above him that should not have but this last year. I didn't have a problem with how they used him, did you?
2: No, it was, it, it's one way you're sat there looking back at last year, 2021, and going, "What? why Why wasn't he used more? Um, mm-hmm. th- there's one curveball I'm going to throw out there for people that want this big wide receiver target. If you were going to go get a guy in the slot, and it tends to be guys in the slot they're looking at, what about a one-year prove-it deal for Mike Gusecki? That That is a big target that can do it in the past game, basically just say, hey, you're going to be a slot wide receiver, not a tight end, one-year prove-it deal, fill it full of incentives so you're not paying too much up front and go, come here, let's go for it. Because wide receivers are really, really expensive and those in free agency, as you've discussed on the pod several times, not good. That that could be a wild card one out there to go, he's not really a tight end, he's not really a full-blown wide receiver, he's just a monster in the slot.
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly. That is... Um... Uh, One of the many routes that they can go. I I think Giuseppe's got some nice versatility. I I certainly don't think Miami's going to be craving keeping him like crazy based on what we've seen. But um, yeah, they they can maneuver that in some different ways. I just don't think that they should spend, from a draft perspective, premium capital on a position that I don't think, if you bring in another traditional tight end, I don't think you're going to use him that much. What's the justification for you're not using him more than Kyle Juicecheck, right, is the a pseudo tight end fullback combo in San Francisco? Like, how are you using him more? So, the, if you look at Juicecheck's production, like you're looking at like 290 yards receiving. He doesn't run it really at all. So, you're like, yeah, you could get some really interesting blocking elements and stuff like that. But the reason San Fran is so deadly is they have the best pass catching back in the NFL, and they have Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. Like those guys are unicorn. Like they're they're that that grouping of guys and how Juicecheck fits in there. That's not something Browns do. We can all agree that based on the personnel, they need less clutter in the box. They need more playmakers outside the hash marks. One in the slot being better, and Giseki could be an element to that. But I'm not looking to tighten, condense things down more than they already are. So that's where I'm coming from. Um, and I think David's fine. Like David was 51st out of 70, or sorry, 84 qualifying tight ends and run blocking grade. And I think it's hard to analyze that because, like, if you look at what David was tasked to do, it's different. Than guys in front of him, he's being asked to do what specific blocking tight ends are doing as their main role for a lot of teams. So that's different to me. Like his tasks are setting the edge in wide zone, turning in um, a a pin pull block, cracking and and maintaining a block on a, on a a heavier defensive end or reaching them. Like I said, in wide zone or split zone block he's asked to do. And this is what makes him great. He's asked to do things that the guys who specify in blocking do while also being asked to do things for the guys who specify in pass catching do. That's what makes him worth the sixth highest number to me, Jack. So um, I think David is an above expectations player for me, and I'm really happy with where he's going and excited to see what he does with Watson in a full season and all of that. Would you agree?
2: No, 100% really interesting. It was one of the players that actually didn't have a great time with Watson at the end of the season, but I'm sure Given a full-off season, that that is really going to gel. And when I say I want to spend a bit of money at tight end, we're talking about like two and a half mil. I want like a Jordan Aiken, someone that I've got just faith with because Njoku's had his injuries in the past and it could come up at any point. The last thing I want to do is we have to throw out, say, um, Farrow Brown and somebody else because there's no depth there. And I think they'll draft a guy we're talking on day three just because, hey, it takes a year or two to develop. So... I think that's where they're going with the roster. And we'll get onto Harrison Bryant, but he's got a boost in his salary because of the proven performance escalator. So suddenly he's gone from super cheap at just over a mil to about 2.6, 2.7 mil. That guy is now cuttable where you go, he's only got one year left. Could we get better from a proven free agent rather than we're only keeping this guy for one year. He's not getting an extension here. So I, yeah. I think there's definitely some maneuvering in the roster to come.
1: Finishing up David is 76.3 pass blocking grade on 44 pass block reps, which again, that that's just be a, 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 the ability to do it on the fly. He ended up being the 11th best tight end out of 84 qualifiers there. So he's able to do that, right? Which is important if you want to get creative and do uh, some different things and add an extra blocker while maybe releasing a back or using a back and play action to your point about Harrison Bryant. So Harrison actually had a pretty good season in terms of the blocking numbers and ended up offensively having a 59.3, um, collective grade uh a ninth and pass blocking grade run blocking grade was somewhere around um let's see here uh again trying to find this sort of on the fly ended up with the 25th best run blocking grade which is better than david but again their tasks are completely different to me and i think that that certainly matters now when you look at the receiving side um with 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 harrison i think he's just He is who he is. I think we could agree that he leaves a lot on the table. He just—he is not explosive. He doesn't make people miss in space. He's kind of, if the scheme gives him something to be open, he's going to be sort of open, and he'll make the catch most of the time, but that's sort of all you're going to get. So for the year of 42 qualifying tight ends in the receiving department, again, 20% of 167 pass snaps, he had the the second to lowest grade, 40th out of 42, and receiving grade at 54.9. He had 239 yards, one touchdown, sort of been in the same realm uh, each year, if you look at him, um, which is, again, not encouraging. He has not really expanded upon his ability to be a pass catcher. I mean, it's, it's actually kind of wild consistency here, Jack. He had 238 his rookie year, 233 his second year, and then 239 last year. So, you know, he fights hard. They move him around and let him play some fullback. I'm not in a hurry to let him go. I know that we don't want to pay him more, Uh, I guess my point is if you can find a better player for cheap value this offseason or or a a draft player, a draftable player, um, I'm into it, um, you know, with maybe one of your mid round picks. And I'll continue to give you examples of who those players are. But like, he's fine. Now, I, I guess my point is, Jack, I'm not forcing anything there. I don't think it's some gigantic need that they need to prioritize over other priorities, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, it's not so much a need. It's just looking for how how you can get a little better. Mm -hmm. If you had a room where, hey, because you you have to deal with free agency before you even get into draft. So say they go, actually, can we spend uh, 2.6, 2.7 million better and they find a Jordan Akins. There's so many tight ends always available that they might look at that. And then it's a case of, hey, we'll re-sign Farrow Brown to the minimum with no guarantees. And we're fine with him as a tight end three. But at the same time, hey, there's a guy we like on day three. Let's take a punt. Hey, you'd have been bored of me last year, Daniel Bellinger, every single mock. It's like, let's just take this guy. And he's had an absolute phenomenal season. You've got Chiggy Aquario, uh, quo for the Tennessee Titans. Phenomenal um rookie season. you rarely see phenomenal rookie seasons out of the tight ends, but a couple of them did it last year. So And they might take a punt on somebody and you bury them for the year. And then hopefully they're the backup for, hey, the rest of Njoku's career, you get a cheap backup who's above average. Um, So, yeah, they'll take a punt if there's someone there. I've done some mocks and haven't really fallen in love with anyone yet. But when the athletic testing comes out, that's when I get really excited.
1: Yeah, we get some guys that are always going to test well at that position. And you just kind of it's when you get to the mid late rounds of tight ends, you're sort of always looking ahead at. Um, potentially who is a guy you could project online. Because this this is, we talk about interior D-line, it's a hard position to come in and be really good right away, unless it's our boy Daniel Bellinger. Uh, it's just, it's hard, right? Conquo was a great addition to Tennessee, who you just referenced. There are guys who can do it, um, but it's not as consistent as you would hope it would be. And again, this is not a player you're bringing in to be a feature at the position, because David is rightfully so taking on a lot of that feature. So the third tight end that they obviously had this past year, um, it started out Miller forestall, but moved off of him quickly for, uh, Jesse James, Jesse James got hurt. And then Pharaoh Brown played in 13 games. He had 201 snaps. Uh, Pharaoh was, you know, he was fine. I don't want them in 13 personnel. And I was actually encouraged how little 13 personnel they ended up finding themselves in compared to years past. Now, I guess that's, that's a bit of a catch all Jack, because they, they played an extra offensive lineman a lot of times for that position, but. I would like them to get away from this with Deshaun Watson. Farrell Brown is an okay third tight end. He comes cheap. Uh, again, I'm not forcing a replacement there, but I would probably, as I'm looking at my 2023 outlook, prefer to get some younger developmental player at that spot. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, 100%. It's one that balance it out and it's it could be a, a slower development and you keep four tight ends for the first six weeks until that um, young rookie's ready. Um, to go and you feel good about him as a, a third tight end on the roster. Or it's one you just say to Farrah Brown, we'll put you on the practice squad and call you up if needed. Because you can have vets on the practice squad and you look around the league, there are so many of them um, just happily taking money. So um, that that could be a route they go where they are just offering that opportunity. So keep just keep adding talent at every single position. And um, why, why do we keep adding late draft picks? Just to try and see if you hit on someone and, A guy sort of round five and later, if they just have a a whole career as a solid backup and a number two at tight end, uh, any position, that's Mm -hmm. a really good return because suddenly you're not paying a guy. It's super cheap and it frees up more money to have these sort of seven, eight crazy um, paid starters on offense. That's because you've drafted well and the bottom of your roster just becomes so cheap.
1: The group itself was fine this year at expectation. It wasn't a above by any stretch i like let me put it this way i like the direction that that room had uh, took because it gave david more opportunity it reeled back and let go of austin hooper and it didn't increase the the harrison bryant usage of some sort of remedy it just said hey david's the guy we're going to use him primarily and and for me, that is um that's what I want. That's what their future should be here for a while. If they add a Giuseppe, then we can discuss out of how that twelve personnel becomes unique. Uh, or we can obviously look into if they take a rookie a developmental angle for that. But again, sort of status quo uh, uh, with Harrison Bryan. He's he's an NFL player at tight end. He's not going to do anything great. He's usually not going to be terrible. Uh, but he's somewhere in between, and and they need to be selective with how they use him. But as far as looking at like spending premium dollars on a tight end. They have to do this or a premium pick 42 on a tight. I don't see it. I think that the direction of this offense should be more spread, uh, spreading different usages of speed elements to lift the lid off. And I don't want to condense things in the nature that makes them feel like they need to run the football more uh, and tighten things. That's just not the element that I'm looking for. I'm looking at what makes Deshaun Watson comfortable um, and what can make this offense thrive. And I, I, I just there's got to be a diverse set of pass catchers on the field. I just in in you you know you're looking at all the teams in the conference championship, that's what you have, right? The only team that doesn't have multiples of these guys is really uh KC, but they have the best tight end to ever play and they have the best quarterback to create opportunities uh in in that regard for guys that maybe aren't as talented. So that's not what the Browns have. They have Watson who's not Mahomes. He can do a lot of great things but they need to make them comfortable and cater to them. And I just think that uh, the status quo at tight end is relatively fine. You can start to experiment with some other things. If Giusecki's contract could become cheap, I think you could get into that. But again, the premium draft stuff, I just can't get really behind that. Jack, I'll let you kind of close out tight end with any other thoughts you had on the group.
2: Yeah. Maybe one where Harrison Bryant gets the the old Mac Wilson treatment and we potentially trade him off. So uh, certainly one to keep an eye on there as a, uh, a wild card um, just because, Hey, I love, I love throwing out different ideas. So it's a really nice position. David Njoku is finally becoming the stud. We all hoped he would. It's taken some time, but we've got there and he's still young. And it's one of the joys of drafting young players. He's still got a long, long time where he's going to be a monster rather than, hey, you draft him when they're 24. He'd be old by now and we're looking to move on. He's 26. So um, no, really excited for this room. Um, Let's just have some nice cheap backups and some youngsters behind there. But I'm excited. I, I think we could easily see record, record numbers. Um, Not quite Travis Kelsey, but I, I think 1,000-yard season for David Njoku is realistic.
1: Yeah, that should be the goal. He should push Ozzie Newsom's tight end record, single season with the Browns, and uh, he should push for over the next few years to be a 1,000-yard guy, to your point. That that's that should be the goal. How do we get David the ball, and how do we add elements to our wide receiver game to put three of these guys on the field who make defenses uncomfortable? That's got to be the goal, and then and that gives Deshaun a lot of comfortability too. And adding a diverse back to that. I got a whole bunch of stuff I want to talk about in the off season, but from a personnel standpoint, I just, I got to reiterate the tight end is fine. We're If you're stressing about tight end, like I just cannot, there's so many other things they need to do here that tight end to me is um, it's a net positive right now. and And I don't think you need to go crazy with it. So anyway, this was great on behalf of me and Jack, we appreciate you guys stopping by and listening. Obviously, Uh, Those of you who are loyal listeners, a huge thank you. I've had a lot of people tell me that they have bought some OBR gear from the store. Check out the pen tweet on my um, at Jake underscore Burns 18 Twitter page to go and get some gear. Great hats. I just got my hat the other day in the mail. It's really nice Nike quality. It's great. T-shirts are great. Uh, If you would like to support this podcast, because every dollar made goes right to this podcast and how we develop uh, sort of the tech with it and everything around it. uh, I appreciate that very much. So thanks for stopping by. Those of you who are loyal listeners, thanks to Jack for being here. And again, guys, check out the OBR for all your daily Browns content needs. Appreciate you, and go Browns!
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium?